0: This is Finding Center, a daily hour of spiritual focus. Today on Finding Center, the theme is Conquering Fear and Failure. In the first half, Howard W. Hunter shares his address, Fear not, little flock. Then in the second half, John M. Huntsman, Sr. speaks on, God did not put us here to fail.
1: It's always a delight to be with you on this campus. My children and grandchildren have attended this university, and I love it very much. Thank you for your attendance today. President Holland informed me that you would probably all be sitting down, so I decided to do the same, (laughs) if you will permit me. I know enough about your busy and hectic lives to know that you sometimes get frustrated. You might even worry a little bit from time to time. I know all about that. You're probably somewhere between midterms and final papers, and the semester seems as if it will never end. Some of you may be farther behind than you thought it was possible to be in a single semester. I've had semesters like that. They pass. You may not pass, but semesters do. Now you know I'm kidding, don't you? You're going to do just fine, even if the bank has called and offered a special tutor in balancing your checkbook. My message to you today is to fear not, little flock. It is to encourage you to rejoice in the great blessings of life. It is to invite you to feel the great thrill of gospel living and our Father in Heaven's love. Life is wonderful, even in the hard times, and there is happiness, joy, and peace that stops all along the way, and endless portions of them at the end of the road. Sure, there are plenty of things to worry about, some of them very serious things, but that is why we speak in gospel terms of faith and hope and charity. As Latter-day Saints, ours is the abundant life, and we try to emphasize our blessings and opportunities while we minimize our disappointments and worries. Search diligently. Pray always, and be believing, the scripture says, and all things will work together for your good. I want to remind you of that promise. Set aside any worries you may have long enough to go with me to Independence, Missouri, where we will observe the worries of another generation of saints. The year is 1833. The Church is only three years old and is struggling for its very survival. On Saturday, July 20 of that year, a mob destroys the Church printing office in Independence, Missouri, and tars and feathers two members of the Church. Three days later, Church leaders are forced to sign a written agreement to leave Jackson County by January 1 of the next year. Upon learning of this from Oliver Cowdery, who was sent from Jackson County to report these unfortunate events to Joseph Smith, the Prophet calls a meeting to discuss the matter. It is decided that all measures should be immediately taken to seek redress by the laws of our country. Church leaders in Missouri approach the governor of the state and are advised by the state attorney general to seek redress under the provisions of the law. This does not please local non members, however and mobs destroy several Mormon homes and whip a number of men. Four days later, on November 4, 1833, one Mormon and two Missourians die in a skirmish on the Big Blue River. The violence continues, but local judges refuse again and again to issue warrants against the mobsters. You know what follows. For well over a decade, there was death and difficulty facing the Church members until they finally fled to the Rocky Mountains. Some survived these difficult times spiritually, and others did not. Those who survived knew and believed and did certain things things which those who fell away did not know or do. What they knew was the reality and divinity and mission of the Lord Jesus Christ. They knew that Joseph Smith was his chosen prophet. Later they sustained Brigham Young in that same capacity, then John Taylor and Wilford Woodruff, and so on. What they did knowing these things to be true was exercise their faith in spite of their worries and their concerns. They were believers, and there was peace and joy and safety in the Church as established and led by the Lord Jesus Christ. Please remember this one thing. If our lives and our faith are centered upon Jesus Christ and His restored gospel, nothing can ever go permanently wrong. On the other hand, if our lives are not centered on the Savior and His teachings, no other success can ever be permanently right. I commend to you the revelations of God as the standard by which we must live our lives and by which we must measure every decision and every deed. Accordingly, when you have worries and challenges, face them by turning to the scriptures and the prophets. Let's begin with your academic worries. You do not need me to catalog the academic challenges of this week or this month or to remind you how long and discouraging some days can be. You worry about papers and tests, about grades and classes and graduate school. For many of you, being here is a financial sacrifice, but you are here anyway. That's a good sign. It might help to remember that by laboring here, you are answering a divine mandate to study and learn things both in heaven and earth and under the earth, things which have been, things which are, things which are at home, things which are abroad and a knowledge of countries and kingdoms. In this connection, consider the oft-quoted words of Nephi, I will go and do the thing which the Lord has commanded. For I know that the Lord giveth no commandment unto the children of men, save he shall prepare a way for them that they may accomplish the things which he commandeth them. The Lord will help you in your schoolwork if you give your own very best academic effort and try to live worthy of his help. The scriptures will not tell you what classes to take, from which professors or from what major to choose, or what topic you should select for the paper that is due Friday morning. But what they do have to offer on the subject of your university career is infinitely more important. They tell you how and why to learn. They encourage you to prepare and grow. You recognize these words. Teach ye diligently, and teach one another words of wisdom. Yea, seek ye out of the best books words of wisdom. Seek learning even by study and also by faith. Whether the subject is scripture or sociology. You cannot ignore study or faith if you wish to succeed. At least have faith in that you can succeed—that every semester eventually comes to an end, that your righteous efforts will be rewarded. Of course, no amount of faith will help you pass this afternoon's pop quiz if you haven't done the required reading. When Dr. Ernest L. Boyer was on the campus last year, he said the only universal prayer offered in school was, Dear Lord, don't let her call on me today. (laughs) So, work hard and pray, but do not worry. While you study the world and its many problems. Resist the temptation that a few have to be cynical. Do not lose sight of the divine wonder all about you. Do not give yourself cause to share the regrets expressed by the dying young man, Karamazov, in his um, book The Brothers Karamazoi. He said the windows of his room looked out into the garden, and the garden was a shady one with old trees in it which were coming into bud. The first birds of spring were flitting in the branches, chirping and singing at the windows. And looking at them and admiring them, he began suddenly begging their forgiveness. Dishonored birds of heaven, happy birds, forgive me for I have sinned against you. Yes, he said, there was such a glory of God all about me birds, trees, meadows, skies. Only I dishonored it all and did not notice the beauty and glory. Remember the words of the Lord's encouragement in these matters. Look at life and its wonders with cheerful hearts and countenances, for the fullness of the earth is yours. Yea, all things which come of the earth are made for the benefit and use of man, both to please the eye and to gladden the heart. Yea, for food and for raiment, for taste and for smell, to strengthen the body and to enliven the soul. Wonder and reverence for God's handiwork is a form of worship, and the spiritually attentive soul will find such wonders in one's studies, in the sky and the mountains. And believe it or not, in that most unique of all creations, your roommate. When you are worrying about classes, you probably spend a fair amount of time trying to balance your funds between tuition and pizza and a little gasoline for the car, if you have one. Look to the scriptures. You have a lot of company if you are poor. You have read these verses. A certain scribe came and said unto him, Master, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus said unto him, The foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. You will find, as you follow Christ, that the path to him often leads through poverty. And if you're not struggling financially, your trial may be greatest of all, prosperity. Whatever your financial circumstance may be, there are some principles which apply to you. Pay a full tithe and be generous in your other offerings. Acknowledge that whatever wealth you have, great or small, monetary or otherwise, belongs to the Lord, and it is to be used as he directs. Do not covet what you have or what you do not have. Brigham Young once said, I am more afraid of covetousness in our elders and sisters than I am of the hordes of hell. Those are his words, not mine. Things eventually work out financially. Hang on and have faith. I mentioned roommates a moment ago and heard a few of you laugh a bit. One of the more trying aspects of student life can be living with your roommates, or even in some cases with spouses or parents or children. There is room in every home, however humble, however temporary, for repentance and forgiveness, for charity and service. If something is wrong, it should be dealt with, but only by persuasion, long-suffering, by gentleness and meekness and love unfeigned. If you are inclined to be troubled about roommates or spouses, try to remember to worry less about your own welfare and more about that of others. If charity is what every apartment needs— and what home doesn't. You be the one to initiate and encourage it. Read Mormon on the subject who said, Pray unto the Father with all the energy of heart that you might be filled with this love. Someone has to begin to try to reach out Someone has to assume responsibility and make good things happen. Why not you? Why not now? Unless I am seriously mistaken, many of you also worry about courtship, marriage, and starting a family. You probably will not find the name of your future spouse in Nephi's vision or the book of Revelation. You probably will not be told it by an angel or even by your bishop. Some things you must work out for yourself. Have faith and be obedient, and blessings will come. Try to be patient. Try not to let what you don't have blind you to that which you do have. If you worry too much about marriage, it can canker the very possibility of it. Live fully and faithfully as one person before having undue anxiety about living as two. If you are married and struggling, your course is the same. Have faith, be obedient, and trust in your covenants. All can be well and will be well if you build on true gospel principles. We all struggle with health problems occasionally. Others do so constantly. Illness and disease are part of the burden of mortality. Have faith and be positive. The power of the priesthood is real, and there is so much that is good in life, even if we struggle physically. It is a joy to know that there will be no injury or disease in the resurrection. Some of our concerns may come in the form of temptations. Others may be difficult decisions pertaining to education or career or money or marriage. Whatever your burden is, you will find the strength you need in Christ. Jesus Christ is Alpha and Omega, literally the beginning and the end. He is with us from start to finish, and as such is more than a spectator in our lives. There is hope in the testimony of Paul, for we all have not an high priest that cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities but was in all points tempted, like we are, yet was without sin. If the yoke under which we struggle is sin itself. The message is the same. Christ knows the full weight of our sins, for He carried it first. If our burden is not sin nor temptation, But illness or poverty or rejection, it's the same. He knows. Alma saw his day and testified, He shall go forth suffering pains and afflictions and temptations of every kind. He will take upon him the pains and the sickness of his people. He will take upon him death that he may loose the bands of death that binds his people, and he will take upon him their infirmities. He suffered so much more than our sins. He whom Isaiah called the man of sorrows. He knows perfectly every problem through which we pass because he chose to bear the full weight of all of our troubles and our pains. Why, that he may be filled with mercy according to the flesh, that he may know according to the flesh how to succor his people according to their infirmities. Brothers and sisters, you have and will have worries and challenges of many kinds, but embrace life joyfully and full of faith. Study the scriptures regularly, pray fervently, obey the voice of the Spirit and the prophets, do all you can to help others. You will find happiness in such a course. Some glorious day all of your worries will be turned to joy. As Joseph Smith wrote to the struggling Saints from his cell in Liberty Jail, Let us cheerfully do all things that lie in our power, and then may we stand still with the utmost assurance to see the salvation of God and for His arm to be revealed. Fear not, little flock, do good. Let earth and hell combine against you. For if you are built upon my rock, they cannot prevail. Look unto me in every thought, doubt not, fear not. Behold the wounds which pierce my side, and also the prints of the nails in my hands and feet. Be faithful. Keep my commandments, and ye shall inherit the kingdom of heaven. I know that God is our Father and that we are his spirit offspring. I know that Jesus Christ is his Son, the Redeemer of the world, that he came in the meridian of time to provide the example of perfect love, and to perform the ultimate sacrifice. I know that he rose from the tomb on the third day with a resurrected, perfect body of flesh and bones, that he appeared to his prophet Joseph Smith. I know that this is his Church and is led today by his prophet Ezra Taft Benson. I know that as Nephi says, God loveth his children, and he doth not anything save it be for the benefit of the world. May those words of Nephi help you to worry less and enjoy life more. I pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.
0: You've been listening to Finding Center. Our theme today is Conquering Fear and Failure. We've just heard from Howard W. Hunter. After the break, we'll return with John M. Huntsman, Sr., for God did not put us here to fail. This is Finding Center, a daily hour of spiritual focus. Our theme today is Conquering Fear and Failure. Next is John M. Huntsman, Sr., a businessman, philanthropist, and Area 70 in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints at the time of this address, titled, God Did Not Put Us Here to Fail.
2: I am so privileged to be invited to this world-class university. And Karen and I thank you, and we thank Rachel and Rebecca for your participation through prayer. Speaking of Rachel and Rebecca, it is such a great honor to have Elder M. Russell Ballard in attendance today. He is a dear and treasured friend, a true brother to me in every way. We have traveled the globe together in the Lord's work. Our son, Peter, married Elder and Sister Ballard's daughter, Brynn. Thus, we jointly claim eight grandchildren including Rachel and Rebecca. I allege that the Huntsman gene pool provides these grandchildren with handsome features and warm personalities. Since Elder Ballard outranks me, he usually gets the last word, and he professes the Ballard genes provide the grandchildren's spiritual guidance and testimonies. We won't take this discussion any further. (laughs) I am truly honored to be here today. May I begin with this simple sentence. God did not put us here to fail. I would say to you, have faith in yourself. Believe in what you are doing. And most importantly, be a person of integrity. It is totally up to you and no one else how your life evolves. Many would like to think that our parents, our professors, or even our bishops are responsible for our future. What we become, who we are, and the footprint we will leave in life is based entirely on our own determination, hard work, education, and sacrifice. Our Heavenly Father expects the best from each of us. We must believe in ourselves—don't give in when the going gets rough. You are laying the foundation of a great work, and that great work is your life. Never cut corners, demean other people, or waste time hanging out. Decide who you are and what your goals entail. Then go for the roses. Life has little regard for those who waste time. My father and grandfather were rural school teachers in southern Idaho and in Utah. And it was my hope to someday follow their example. But I refused to forsake my dreams, and each day my mind was filled with new ideas and hopes and aspirations. I would never listen to anyone who spoke negatively nor acknowledge that there were shortcomings which could not be overcome. I always thought that the key to life is to find happiness in any given place or time while remembering the great scriptural axiom, men are that they might have joy. People around us cheer when we are happy and positive. Self-pity is the most negative quality of the human spirit. Thus, when one is happy and positive and truly believes in himself or herself, great achievements lie ahead. Throughout life, in my heart and soul, I wanted to explore the world, to reach into the unknown, to travel beyond my childhood boundaries. It is so important that we each live our own dream, not someone else's dream. If what you are doing in your life is not your own dream, then whose is it? Perhaps I can best explain this through a personal experience. When I was the age of many of you and was attending college at the very challenging Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania, things weren't going great, at least not academically. It was a struggle for me simply because I didn't apply myself to the rigorous studies. After my sophomore year, I went home and visited with my father. He encouraged me to change my major and to attend a college that was not so difficult. I thought about taking an easier route, and remember the wise statement a radio commentator had recently made. He stated, quote, Difficulty is a one excuse history never accepts. I returned to college my junior year, a reinvigorated new person. I applied myself, I studied diligently, my grades skyrocketed, and upon graduation two years later, I was awarded the university's highest honors. Thus I realized between my sophomore and junior year that it was my dream I must live, and not my father's, and that I must achieve it through adversity and hard work. Making dreams become reality requires great sacrifice and determination. Most people are content to just coast along. Many really don't like to apply their talents and abilities or to put in long hours of work. But to achieve any dream and to make something truly remarkable happen in our lives, we must face adversity head-on. And we must overcome all of the obstacles in our pathway. Today, obstacles are significant. They are everywhere. It is easy to become a prisoner to abusive behavior when we think there is no possible way out. Just think of the complex issues— of attempted suicide, pornography, drug abuse, eating disorders, sexual identity, and addictions that come in various forms and disguises. These are very real challenges to many people. Every family feels at some point the heartache and pain of watching a loved one or friend falling prey to one of these life-altering demons. Once ensnared, Most individuals believe they have little chance of escaping. But I say unto you, your life's dream can be achieved. These demons are momentary setbacks. Do not succumb to desperation. Don't get down on yourself. You can create a pathway to success. There is a road to recovery, and many of us have traveled that road. With regaining balance and confidence in life, We can make it. Our dreams can be fulfilled. We should never, never give up hope. We must follow the example of the little train that could, trying to pull its load over the mountain. I think I can. I think I can. I think I can. Today, the economy represents a challenge that we have never witnessed before. Some of our families have lost their homes. Some of us, or perhaps our relatives or friends, have lost their jobs. Almost everyone has lost something or has been diminished in some capacity. May I suggest to you that contrary to public opinion, there is much to be learned from the lessons of our times. Benjamin Disraeli, a former prime minister of England, stated quote, "There is no education like adversity end of quote." And it was Sir Winston Churchill, another great British Prime minister, who led that nation through the unrelenting struggles of World War II, who stated, quote, "We receive our inspiration from the mountaintops, but receive our maturity from the valleys of life." End of quote. Many of us here today are either going through one of the valleys of life, or will someday experience one of these challenges. moments of adversity. Remember that adversity determines our character. During times of trial and tribulation, I often think of the Prophet Joseph Smith and the many adversities that afflicted his life. The Lord brought peace unto his heart during one of these times when he stated, My son, peace be unto thine soul. Thine adversity and thine afflictions shall be but a small moment. End of quote. It is always interesting to observe how people react during times of crisis. Indeed, our very own character is formed by the lessons of trial and challenge. Character, in turn, emerges within each of our hearts and minds to establish our own personal set of standards, or as the outside world would refer to it, our personal integrity. Integrity is critical to our lives and to our dreams of achievement, we must remember that without integrity nothing else matters and that with integrity nothing else matters. Thus, personal integrity, shaped and fashioned and molded to a great extent by adversity and personal trials, determines the person or individual we represent to others. We must each remember that God did not put us on this earth to fail. We are His children. We are here to succeed. The obstacles placed before us will be many, and in certain cases we may even falter or even fail. But I love the scripture that states, He who has repented of his sins, the same is forgiven. And I, the Lord, remember them no more. End of quote. I often recall the Atonement of Jesus Christ. The Atonement, of course, is the entire purpose for the restoration of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. It provides a means for eternal life. But there is another purpose as well. The Savior's suffering and struggles in the Garden of Gethsemane and His ultimate Atonement allows each of us to heal from the sins or afflictions of which I spoke earlier. Through the Lord Jesus Christ, we don't have to carry guilt over our shoulders as if it were a 50-pound bag of rocks. We can and should repent and move on. The Lord has provided the way for us to heal and then use our adversities to great advantage in the future. Shakespeare, the great British playwright, said it best when he simply stated, Sweet are the uses of adversity. Thus, as we overcome many imposed limitations or challenges, the door is open for us to do anything in life that is honorable and good. We can follow our dreams and reach the stars and make a big difference in the lives of many. When I started our company 40 years ago, I had no money. I had worked diligently as a young man to help my family make it through life financially. Although a scholarship had been awarded to me to attend one of America's most prestigious universities, I worked through college to pay for those extra costs that scholarships don't cover. Then, for several years after graduation, I worked for a small company to gain experience and wisdom. I went to graduate school at night and received a master's of business administration while having young children at home and while serving in a bishopric. Thus, after much preparation, when I decided to form my own company and asked the banks for a loan but was rejected, I said to myself, No is only the beginning of the conversation. Filled with confidence, I returned many times to the banker and finally wore him down. He granted me a meager loan, and I began a small business step by step and acquisition by acquisition. We grew and expanded. On many occasions, as we built the business, various bankers, attorneys, and accountants would tell me it was impossible to proceed. But I forged ahead because I genuinely believed in myself and was adamant that no one else was going to determine my own personal destiny. And no one else but you will determine your personal destiny. I thought often of my great-great-grandfather, Apostle Parley P. Pratt, and his tribulations as a missionary in England, as a first missionary in South America, and as one of the first missionaries in the Pacific Isles. He was turned down repeatedly. He was mocked. He was jailed with our prophet Joseph Smith, but he was never discouraged. So how could one of his grandsons possibly give up a great opportunity to open doors for others without trying repeatedly to accomplish the objective? Throughout these early years, the thought came to me repeatedly that difficulties in life are intended to make us better, not better. Roadblocks always seem to surface— But slowly over the years, with determination and prayer, a great business evolved. Has it been a challenge? Of course it has. Almost every day is a struggle for many of us. But we must remain positive. Nothing comes easy. Next year, our company celebrates 40 years as a reputable global enterprise. With a respected name, we have fought every day honorably and with fairness to forge ahead. Challenges will affect us every day. We refuse to fall for pyramid schemes or get-rich-quick gimmicks. They are all guaranteed to backfire. We have never been sidetracked by the lure of easy money. That doesn't exist either. People of integrity balance their lives. Successful people follow President Hinckley's prioritization schedule. He listed our priorities in this order. Number one, our eternal spouse. Number two, our eternal children. Number three, loyalty to our employer or profession. And number four, commitment to our church calling. Number five, attention to one's personal fitness and health. One might ask, why is it so important to strive for excellence? as a son or daughter of God? Or, if we succeed, will it really make a difference in the lives of others? We need only to look to Jesus Christ, the Savior of mankind. He often spoke about our need to be our brother's keeper and to watch over those less fortunate and those who are underserved. "Quote: For I was a-hungered, and ye gave me meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me in. Naked, and ye clothed me. I was sick, and ye visited me. I was in prison, and ye came unto me. And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as you have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, ye have done it unto me. End of quote. On the wall behind my desk, as a daily reminder, hangs the great industrialist Andrew Carnegie's declaration of the law of accumulation of wealth. He stated, We are to consider all surplus revenues which come to us simply as trust funds which we are called upon to administer in the manner in which, in our judgment, is best calculated to produce the most beneficial results for the community. Thus a man of wealth becomes a mere agent and trustee for his poorer brethren. End of quote. My heart is deeply touched every time I embrace patients of the Huntsman Cancer Institute or greet one of the thousands of students who receive our scholarships or embrace a homeless in many countries who have given up on themselves. Wealth, if utilized wisely as the Savior advocated, is indeed a blessing to all involved. On the other hand, an unwise servant can create chaos, misery, and unhappiness if wealth is misdirected or not used for the upliftment and betterment of mankind. Thus our charity will become our legacy. In your studies, you have been taught correct principles with which you must now govern yourselves. Have the courage to be true to what you know is right. Have faith in yourself. You have great power within your human soul, each and every one of you, to accomplish something great. The accumulation and use of wealth for the betterment of others is only one form of greatness. A righteous mother and father stand above all others. Obedient children are a blessing to a family, and a humble soul who loves the Lord can achieve great goodness. Quote, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. End of quote. Our paths will be as plentiful as there are separate individuals in this great Marriott Center today. Never deny yourself the right to reach your individual dreams. You and the Lord working together can accomplish anything. Never forget, God did not put us here to fail. I shall always remember how the precepts of the gospel of Jesus Christ dramatically changed my life. Although my parents were not active in the Church, I always was inspired by the law of tithing. It was a great honor— as a young boy to make an appointment with my bishop to pay fifty cents or one dollar or two dollars tithing, earnings from delivering newspapers or mowing lawns or cleaning out grocery stores. Little did I know that this simple habit would affect my life's work. In 1970, at the age of 32, I was appointed by the President of the United States to oversee the welfare, social, services, and Medicaid program for the entire United States. It was an enormous task for a young man, but I thrived on my new appointment in Washington, D.C. as part of the presidential administration. Several months into that appointment, I received a call from the White House chief of staff who asked me if I would immediately come to a meeting in his West Wing office. Nervously, I was interviewed for the next two days, to determine if I was the proper candidate to become special assistant to the President of the United States and also serve as White House Staff Secretary. I had to pinch myself several times to realize that here I was, a young man born and raised in southern Idaho and now one of 14 candidates to possibly become one of the President's right-hand men. Near the end of the second day, the White House Chief of Staff Looked me squarely in the eyes and asked a most improbable and unexpected question. He asked, quote, Are you a full tithe payer in your church? Yes, he injected the word full. Without hesitation, I said, Yes, sir, I am. I always have been. It is an honor for me to pay a full tithing to my church. He said, quote, no one here in the White House is a member of your faith, but I know enough about your religion to know if you are a full-tithe payer, you are a person of integrity. Thus I am recommending you to the president to become his next assistant. End of quote. The very next day I moved my offices into the White House. It was a humbling but joyful experience to know that the result of honoring the priesthood And paying a full tithing not only brings the joys of heaven, but also at times like this it can bring the honors of men. I have always remembered the wise counsel of President Harold B. Lee. He, like the prophets of the Lord before him and after him, helped guide and direct our lives during this mortal journey. I love President Lee. He made a profound statement on one occasion that I have always remembered. That applies to many situations. He said, quote, Stay true in the dark and humble in the spotlight. End of quote. President Lee was simply telling us what we have been discussing today—that if we are men and women of integrity, we don't need to wonder what happens when the lights go out. We have predetermined our course of action, and it is to become a person of honor and integrity. One might question the survival of integrity in today's marketplace, of deceit and dishonesty. May I share this personal story with you, which I hope will show that this is possible. Some 24 years ago, my young business was struggling. I needed a partner. A recent economic recession had been devastating to our earnings. I decided to sell 40 percent of our company. We would retain the other 60 percent. We found a willing and able buyer. After much discussion, we arrived at a price for the 40 percent valuation. We shook hands on the deal. Then it painfully took more than six months for the buyer to write the contracts that provided a legally binding agreement between us. During that six-month period of time, our earnings had increased dramatically and the business was in a rapid growth mode. Sales were the highest ever. Financial consultants on Wall Street told me that the value of the 40% of our company, which the buyer and I had agreed to six months prior, was now worth five times the original amount. Things had changed. Moreover, the first oral agreement, our lawyers told me, was not binding because no legal papers had been signed. Since nothing had been signed in the beginning, And since our agreement was based only on a handshake, the buyers felt an obligation to pay a higher price. I admired them for that, and our business desperately needed capital. We were expanding aggressively throughout the United States and some foreign countries, and I had many bills to pay. But I informed the buyers that we must stay with the original agreement. I would not increase their cost. My behavior shocked the entire industry. They could not understand why I would not take hundreds of millions of dollars more. But I was confident that this was the honorable thing to do and explained to them, A deal is a deal, and a handshake is your bond, and I will not vary therefrom. When the president of this large international company that had purchased the 40 percent passed away. Though I didn't know him very well, his family asked me to speak at his funeral. It was truly a great honor. I mention this story to you, brothers and sisters, with gratitude for the power and spirit of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost acts within each of us as a moral compass. It tells us what is right and what is wrong. We always know when we are not doing the right thing. Patterns of integrity for life— should be formed in our youth, then we never have to struggle with the answers. The Holy Ghost is there to prompt us, and we never have to reason to those promptings. Acting on them can have a positive and powerful and remarkable impact in our lives. Remember, God did not put us here to fail. Always keep in mind, nothing meaningful can come your way without integrity— and integrity is often challenged by adversity. Never let the accumulation of wealth in itself be a goal. Be creative. Work hard. Surround yourself with bright, honest people. Be a straight shooter and follow your dreams. But above all else, believe in yourself. And between you and the Lord, your dreams can and will come true. And in your pursuit of your dream, never, never forget others. It is a privilege to serve others, and I thus close with this poem by John Donne. No man is an island. No man stands alone. Each man's joy is joy to me. Each man's grief is my own. We need one another, so I will defend each man as my brother, each man as my friend. I love the Lord. It is a great honor to bear the holy priesthood. I revere and sustain our beloved prophet, Thomas S. Monson, and I leave with you my testimony that God lives. He is my Savior and Redeemer. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is restored upon the earth as a blessing to each one of us. I also testify that God will not place adversity in our path without giving us the strength to rise above it. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.
0: You've been listening to Finding Center. Join us every weekday for an hour of inspiration and spiritual focus. Today's theme was Conquering Fear and Failure, with thoughts from Howard W. Hunter and John M. Huntsman, Sr. Find links to the full text, audio, and video of these addresses at byuradio.org findingcenter finding center. Finding Center is a production of BYU Broadcasting.